It'll be Ephesians 5, 22, 23, and 24. Ephesians 5, 22, 23, and 24. Uh, and we'll go ahead and then read 33 as well. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Now, to 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, we ask now for your... Your mercy to come upon us, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would teach us your truth, that you would equip us for what we need to be godly husbands and wives. For your sake and your glory, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alright, now that we've got Ephesians 5 read, let's go back to 1 Peter, where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. Uh, This morning, we will finally tackle the wives' role of submission, and we've, we've hit on it here and there, but we haven't taken a full dive into it. Uh, yet and first Peter 3 1 through 6 is gonna help us see that and but last week we felt that it was important that we stop and examine the woman as God designed her in order to help her understand her God-given role um, we looked at the idea of God had a perfect a purposeful and perfect design of the woman as a vessel of the image of God. He created the woman to complement, and when I say complement, I mean with differences that complement one another, to complement the man in order to help him fulfill the command from God to multiply, fulfill, or fill the earth, take dominion over the, all creation. And in so doing, God purposefully and perfectly created the woman to be more glorious but weaker than the man. However, the weakness that we looked at of the woman is not one that makes her worthless or less valuable, but the very opposite. It makes her glorious and very valuable. And so with that in mind, we can hopefully see a little clearer of a little bit more ease, how the purposefulness and the perfection of the differences that God made when he made man and woman, husband and wife, that those differences line up with the differences in their roles as head, headship, and submission. The stronger vessel 
as the head, they're to lead, provide, and protect both spiritually and physically. And the weaker vessel, as mentioned in 1 Peter 3, 7, uh, they're in submission to the head as his helper fit for God's design. And when the two, man and woman, husband and wife, acknowledge their God-given differences and in how they're created and the roles that which they were created for and submit to God in obedience to those roles, they begin their pursuit of the glory of God in their marriage and in their family. And that's the only path to the pursuit of God's glory through your marriage and your family. And this is what we want. We want the glory of God. We want the glory of God in our marriages and for our families because that is what he made you for. That is what he brought you together for. That's what he will bring you together for in the future with a spouse for the glory of God. So today but our focus will be on not just wives in submission, but we're going to have to first take a look at the role of submission for all people. For all people, because submission isn't just a wife thing. It's a Christian thing. All right, we have to understand that, and we'll see that as we look through 1 Peter chapter 2. Submission, and I want you to I want you to put these words in your mind. Submission is to be the normal posture. The normal posture for all Christians. Now, why do I say the word posture? Well, let me use an example to help us illustrate why I picked the word posture. Have you seen on TV, or maybe you've dealt with it in real life, um, a dog training show uh, where there's an aggressive dog? Right, and when you when they approach that aggressive dog, it always seems as if its posture is ready to defend, to attack. Right, and how does it make itself known? Uh, the ears are stiff, the hair flares up. You know, then you see the teeth under the curled lip, and they're not gonna sit. They're pacing back and forth, always watching. That 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 animal is in a posture that is defensive and potentially offensive. Not in submission. But then by the end, before the commercial break, the dog whisperer spends some time with it. And the next thing you know, the ears are, the ears are down, the hair is fallen. And what do they do? They're panting and they've sat down or might even have laid down for the person that's dealing with them. What has that dog done? It's gone from a offensive or defensive posture to a submissive posture and then the dog is relaxed the dog can not not be on edge they've moved into a a posture of submission so the scriptures are very clear that the normal posture of all christians and I'll, i'll get to why i say normal later is submission but let me add this phrase to this the phrase to this. The normal posture of all Christians is submission to authority. To authority. So we have to acknowledge. I, I'm going to speed through this real quick. Um, we have to acknowledge something that's going to help us when we're thinking about all Christians' posture of submission to authority. 
if you if if you went through First Peter to get to chapter two, verse nine, where we're going to start looking at, here's what you would see. Now, for the sake of time, I just want to say it out loud. We're not going to look at it. One of these days, we're going to go through First Peter, and I can't wait for that. But but here here's what here's what we find out, or we know about the audience of Peter when he writes this letter. Number one, that the audience is born again and raised with Christ. A person who has been united to Christ by faith, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. Now again, I want you to, I want you to just realize that we're, we're taking a look at Peter's audience, who are Christians, who are to take a posture of submission to authority. So his audience are born again, raised with Christ, died to sin. They're freed from sin, no longer under the dominion of death. But they are freed to live for God in righteousness. Because in being born again, they are given a new mind, a new heart, and a new will. New desires, new affections. And we see his audience loves their Savior. And that love comes from a true belief in him, even though they had never seen him. And then that love is a trust and a joy that is inexpressible. And also a hope that their salvation is complete and will be finished totally in Christ. But we also see that his audience, and he's commanding his audience and expecting his audience to know that they are in a pursuit of holiness. Meaning they're in a pursuit of their God. They're in a pursuit of being like their God. And that is being... And in that pursuit, they're being purified by obedience to the words of God. And so much of what we're looking at when it comes to the family, marriage, parenting, a man and a woman, is actually trusting the words of God. Actually trusting what He said is good for you. Even if the world says it is not. And the last thing that we see, and this begins in verse 9, is that His audience... Christians, you and I are a special people. A special people. God's own people. Look at verse 9. This is where we'll start our reading. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not uh, received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's the beauty of being a Christian. Is that God is exalting you. You do not exalt you, but God exalts you. And we've heard it in Sunday school. He's exalted us over the world. Not to be proud and arrogant, but to know that we who are still in the world, God has raised up. And one day will make us rulers over the world. God is exalting us above all peoples in Christ Jesus as his own. And in that, he is calling us to proclaim him, his excellencies, 
so that the world would take notice and glorify him. Now, how are we to proclaim him in this unbelieving world? Now, and this is the context of Peter. There's many ways that we can do this. But he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, I don't take that just to mean, uh, we might look at that and, and kind of have sexual sin in our mind. I don't take that to just mean uh, sexual sin. But to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of invitation or day of visitation. And you might be asking, okay, Peter, but in how? What way? Well, I think the fact that he spends verse 13 to the end of chapter 2 and then starts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and talks about submission, spends quite a bit of time after that, that he might be making a point that our posture of submission is a way that we show the world that we are God's chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, that we obey in faith his word and show that we trust in God and therefore submit to human authority as he has called us to do. And that's what I want us to look at. Look at verse 13. The very next thing he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Your, your translation might say submit, not be subject. Same thing. Same thing. But here's what I want us to, to do this morning. Is I want you to check your posture. Check your posture. To be a Christian raised with Christ to new life, freed from sin, in the pursuit of holiness, your normal posture is to... Authority is submission. And why do I just say normal and just not say our posture? Because the truth is there may be a point in your life where you must come out of the, that posture of submission. It is not that we are to always be in this posture. But when the time comes, we might have to remove ourselves from the posture of submission and actually defy the human authority that is over you. Now, you've got to hang on to that, and we could spend weeks on working through that. But it's going, to come, it's going to come back around full circle here in a moment. When are we to come out of that posture of submission? When are we to de defy human authority that God has placed over us? When, the, when that authority commands you to do something against God's will. When it commands you to sin. And we'll come back to that later on. So we have to understand that this is the posture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew, this just hear me. Um, Matthew 26, we see Jesus' submission to the Father when he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 23, Jesus clearly submits to uh, Roman authority 
to Caesar when the Pharisees come to him and say, hey, do we got to pay taxes? And what's he say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. In our text, in 1 Peter 2, we see Jesus in a posture of submission to sinful human authority. For the sake of the will of the Father and for your eternal good. Look at chapter 2, 21 through 25. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So he suffered for you. He's leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly to God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So we see Christ as our example of submission to human authority. If we are in him, we will pursue to be like him. There's no, no way around that. If you claim the name of Christian, your life is a pursuit to be like Christ. But not just being like Him, but we are His. He has purchased us with a price. Bought us with His blood. And we read it in Sunday school. He is our groom. We are His bride, and He is cleansing us, nourishing us, cherishing us, so that we might be presented without spot or wrinkle in all splendor. That is Christ loving His bride. So just here, a few quick thoughts on human authority as we are called to submit to human authority. We can't go into a lot of detail, but I just want to introduce this, and maybe one day we can follow this, follow back up on this. Here's what we got to understand when it comes to human authority. God has instituted three realms. Sorry, three realms. Three realms of human authority for our good. Okay? God has instituted these realms. He has ordained them. And those realms are government, church, and family. Now, even in 2 Peter 2, we see other authority, servants and masters. You go to work and are under authority of your boss. But that what is directly established and set by God is government, church, and families. God has ordained all who are in authority in these realms and these areas. Government, he has ordained the magistrates or the officers from the present to the deputy sheriff. He's given them authority. In the church, he's given the elders And in the family, he's given the fathers. All three realms or institutions have been ordained or instituted by God, have been put in place by God for different purposes, but ultimately for your good. Different purposes, but ultimately for your good. And they have been granted 
or given authority directly by God. In a life of pursuing God's glory and holiness, the good of your family, the good of your community, the good of your nation, we assume a posture of submission to those realms and those offices. That is from the scriptures. Look at verse 13 through 17. It gets a taste of of this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And you cannot forget for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, not the emperor, but by God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you would Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now let's not assume we all got this part down. Like there's no need to worry. Let's test your posture of submission. If you habitually... Drive 63 and a 55, you are out of a posture of submission. And you're like, but they never pull me over for that. I don't care. You have made it a habit to drive just illegal enough that they won't pull you over. But guess what? The limit is set by the authority given by God to that institution for what purpose? Your good. And you say, but I, if I could just do a little bit more, it's, it's better for me. Do you see what we're doing? We're not, in a posi- we're not in a posture of submission. You actually are in a posture of hurting yourself or others. Oh, you fast drivers, you can come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> But I want you to understand, even if you are pulled over, the officer who is giving you a ticket is in a position of authority ordained by God. Believer or unbeliever. Alright? Now, look back at 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear the God, honor the emperor. Now here's a question. Do you honor President Joe Biden? Now, I didn't ask you if you got a problem with his policies. I didn't say, the Bible doesn't say that you can't criticize those policies, but it's another thing to speak ill of a human being and to devalue a human being. But even more so, you were told by God, To honor the emperor. Now you're going to have to think on that one for a little bit. Dwell on that one for a little bit. We want to... I want to... I want to... I want to conclude this as we move on to wives' submission to their husbands. And just remind you that authority is from God. Authority is from God. It is good. It is given to you for your good. Yes, it can be misused. Yes, it can be abused. 
We live in a fallen world. Get used to it. We live in a fallen world with sinful people, but God has spoken, He has ordained, and we can take heart in the truth that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose, even under bad authority. Even under bad authority. Now, we move on. Everything we've set up to this point can be applied or is applied to a wife's submission to her husband's authority. Everything that I've said thus far can be applied to the submission of a wife to her husband. So, let's begin. uh, Submit to your own husband. Verse 1, chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husband. Now, I want to emphasize the word own for a minute. Two things here. Two things here. Number one, the fact that God is clear that you are to submit or be subject to your own husband is actually an act of protection by God for you. Okay? This is a protection for the wife. You are not called to submit to men. Women, you are not called to submit to men. You're called to submit to your own husband. Woman must be subject to her own husband. And if another man tries to come and put his authority on your wife, men, it's your job to stop it. Do we understand this? Wives, you've been given a husband to... uh, uh, given a husband to protect you from the bad authority of other men, you are called to submit to him and not to someone else's husband. But I think there's something else here, and that's more of a warning that you must guard yourself against covetousness. Wives, you must guard yourself against covetousness. My husband doesn't lead as well as so-and-so's husband. I would be able to submit much better if only my husband were like so-and-so. Well, here's, here, here's where we need to start thinking differently, especially for the sake of our younger ones. When you said, I do, you said, I am putting myself under your authority. Whether... You knew it was going to be good or bad. This is the thing we we don't teach our, our, our young girls anymore. Is that the power actually lies in their hands before they say yes to a proposal. You understand that? The power lies, the authority lies in the hands of the young girl when she is asked... For her hand in marriage, she can simply say no. Now, and here's what we have to do. We have to begin to teach our young girls, our little women, what submission is and what godly submission should look like. So when they grow up, they're not looking for dreamy-eyed Jim, but they're looking for godly Jim. Who puts Christ above all. 
who submits himself to Christ, who is selfless in all that he does. Now, again, if or when your husband uses his authority to command you to sin, by all means, come out of the posture of submission. Just as if a government commands you to sin against God, you defy that authority. You disobey if His authority is causing you to sin. Now let's just go ahead and tackle this now because this is always a what if or a what happens if this happens. What if my husband is abusing me with his authority? Here's what I want. Here's, here's why God's design is so beautiful. Take it to his authority that he is under. If you are being abused by the authority of your husband, you go to the authority that he is under. If it's if it's um, Take it to the elders of the church. If your husband is acting a fool and causing and, and commanding you, abusing you to sin through wanting you to go there or do this or act this way, you tell the authority that has been placed over him in the church. Now, if it is something that is physical or life-threatening... You go to a different authority. You go through the authority who has been given by God the power to wield the sword. You understand? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that a woman is to submit to the point of death. Now I think how we get that backwards and we get, we get pastors who say... You know, stay there and get beat for the glory of God. And it's because we come from chapter 2 where Jesus, as an example, is being beaten. And then we move into the relationship of wife and husband. But it's not one for one. You understand? It's not one for one. Christ was on an eternal mission. And He could not escape death. All the example of Christ is giving you women is the example to submit to earthly authority. Which will err. Which will sin. But not to the point of your death. Or your physical harm. Do you understand? Okay, so back to submitting to a poor head. Look at verse, let's finish verse 1 and read verse 2. So let, let's say your husband isn't abusing you, but he's just not a good head. He's not stewarding his authority correctly. What do you do? Let's read 1 and 2. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I believe this passage to be true for an unbelieving husband and also for Christian husbands in a season of disobedience. Win them, wives, with your pursuit of Christ, your obedience to your calling. Submit to them in respectful and pure conduct and win them. That word conduct can also include the idea of conversation, how you speak, right? Um, so let's think about respectful speech for just a minute, from a wife to a husband. Everybody flip back to Ephesians 5. And look at uh, the last verse in Ephesians 5. And notice the specifics Paul gives to the husband and then the specifics that Paul gives to the wife. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. That's to the husband. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now notice Paul doesn't give the same command to both. Why? Because God has made male and female different. Women typically are seeking love from their husbands, not respect. And men are typically seeking respect from their wives and not love. And even more so, a woman wants to feel loved. A man wants to feel respected. And so the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom has Paul write this down. Because God knows man and woman. And in a general observation of just our lives... Men struggle showing love. And women struggle showing respect. And Peter agrees with this. Because he tells the wife that it's with respectful conduct and speech that she can win over her husband. Now, for parents, you can take that to your children as well. When you're raising little boys... Fill them with respect. When you're raising little girls, fill them with love. That's what fuels them because that's how God made them. Probably more to come on that in the future. But Peter tells the wives, so an unbelieving husband or a husband in a season of disobedience, win him over with your respectful and pure conduct. Now, let's move on. Let's look at the beautiful and precious. How? Uh, let's look at how beautiful and precious submission is before God and the husband. A wife's Christ-like submission is more beautiful to God than a, a and to a husband than any dress, makeup hairdo, or, or jewelry. Look at verses uh, back in 1 Peter. Look at verse 3, chapter 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person 
of the heart with imperishable beauty and of a gentle and quiet spirit. So here I just want to go I want to go through this quickly. We have to understand that this passage is less about what you should not wear, ladies. If you've braided your hair, you weren't in sin, okay? If you've wear golden earrings, you're not in sin. The problem, the thing we must focus on is that physical beauty is not a negative or physical beauty is not a negative thing in scripture. And even clothes and makeup and jewelry to accentuate the beauty that God has made you into be is not a negative thing. However, when it is prioritized over internal beauty, it becomes a very, very big problem. Okay, it becomes a very, very big problem. So what does God want you to do? He wants you to adorn your inner person. To be beautiful. Look what he says in verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle, of a gentle and quiet spirit. The gentle and quiet spirit of a submissive wife is like a gold ornaments upon a wife. Notice what he says, which in God's sight is very precious. That word very precious means of great value. Now, husbands, you must value what God values. If you overvalue, prioritize the value of the physical over the internal, you are not doing your wife any favors. But you're actually going against God's desire. I was saying, so, so what do we mean by gentle and quiet spirit? What do we, when, what do we, what are we talking about? Gentle can be translated as meek or humble, and quiet is a picture of someone sitting still, undisturbed by staying seated, not creating a racket. So two images had come to my mind when I thought about this, and one really only worked out, and I'll tell you why. So when you think of someone who is gentle, who has a gentle and quiet spirit, imagine being in the movie theater. Okay? Imagine being in the movie theater and sitting next to a stranger, and it's the most pleasant experience you've ever had. Right? As they eat their popcorn, they're very careful, and they can, they're considerate. They're not chomping on their popcorn. They're not rustling their wrappers really hard. They're not fidgeting in their seat. And when they have to use the bathroom, they're very polite about it and careful, and you hardly even notice them. Now, we've probably sat by people in the movie theater that weren't like that. That's not. The opposite of that is, is not a quiet and gentle heart. But that pleasant person you have set next to the movie theater is. I was thinking about a hunting illustration as well, but I thought, you know what? This is supposed to be towards the women, and they might not all get the illustration. And you men might confuse that it would be a reason to command your wives to go hunting and be quiet and still in the woods. And I didn't want to go there. Um but, but let's actually think about an example of submission with these things that we've just spoke of, respectful and pure conduct and a gentle and quiet spirit. And let's use hunting. Let's say, now, now hang with me here, let's say a husband has told his wife, I'm going to go hunting in the morning. Now here would be the response opposite. Of what Peter is trying to get at here. Okay? Here are some responses that would be opposite 
of what Peter is after. You can only go if you take me. Or, that's fine, but I'm going shopping when you get back. Or sigh, fine, and turn your back. Now, here's what I want to understand, and I wasn't going to do it. The words paint a picture, but your tone also paints a picture. And I was not about to try to interpret a tone, but you understand my point. That what you say means something, and how you say it means something. As I read it, it doesn't really seem that bad, but when we speak in ways and communicate in ways that aren't respectful and pure, that are not quiet and gentle, we are saying something else. None of those ways represented what Peter has said, respectful, pure, gentle, and quiet. Now here's how you could respond. Okay, but please don't forget to come back by 10. Me and the girls were planning to get together. Or what if your husband, in hoping to go hunting, forgot that the kids had a dentist appointment at 8 a.m. and you, the wife, had a woman's fellowship on the 8th of October at 9 a.m. and you weren't going to be able to take the kids to the dentist. But your husband wants to go hunting. Here's a bad response. You can't. Why can't you remember these things? The kids have this and I've got that. A good response. Oh, dang. That's my language. You must have forgotten about the kids' dentist appointments and then I have woman's fellowship at church at 9. Can we figure out another morning for you to go hunting? Now, men, I want you to hold your horses for a second. I'm not giving you a free pass to go hunting whenever and however you want. And I'm not saying that your wife cannot oppose the fact that you want to go hunting. Number one, your hobbies and interests, I'm talking to men now, husbands, your hobbies and interests better be in a correct priority. Understand? You better not be, here's some more problems. Men, you better not be spending money on dough urine if you can hardly pay your bills. Make sure you're communicating with your wife. You don't lay down at 10 p.m. and say, Honey, I'm going hunting in the morning. That's a poor head. Here's what I also want to ask you, men. Are you willing to get up at 5 a.m. to go hunting, but not willing to get up at 5 a.m. to read your Bible, to intercede before God on behalf of your wife and kids in prayer? What are your priorities? You're ready to go line up your rifle after dinner, but how about opening the Bible and having family worship instead? Men, it's your job to lead your wife in such a way that it makes it easier for her to submit to you. But we tend to do the opposite. Do we understand? We abuse our authority or abandon it altogether for selfish reasons, making it harder for our wives to obey God. And when we push them in that, they go back to what Peter tells us not to do in verse 11 of chapter 2, to uh, abstain the pack from the passions of the flesh. We must see that each role, husband, headship, wife, submission, both comes with difficulty. Both of them. One is not easier than the other. 
But when both are done in pursuit of obedience to God, in the pursuit of Christ-likeness, it definitely makes it for a smoother ride. Proverbs 21.19 say this, and men do not shake your heads after I read this verse. It is better to live in a desert land than with the quarrelsome and fretful woman. Proverbs 21.19 See, that is a description of a woman opposite of what we see in 1 Peter 3. And men, if you were tempted to shake your head because you feel like that's what fits your household... The first thing that I would suggest to you is not to go to your wife, but to evaluate your headship, your leadership, your life, your sin. So let's just wrap it up and let's read these last few verses. Verse starting in verse 5. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, a few things, just as we close this. Submission comes with obedience. We cannot, I cannot, I cannot give a sermon on submission without saying that submission brings about obedience. The Bible teaches us that wives are to obey their husbands. I think we all, both husbands and wives, need to feel the weight of that. Men, when you hear that, you shouldn't be like, did you hear what he said? You should be like, oh, I really got to get my stuff together. Because if God is commanding my wife to obey me, I better be leading her in a way that is good and right. As we think about the marriage being a relationship likened to the relationship between Christ and the church, it seems to bear more weight when we think about that. And that should always be on your mind. Christ love or husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Husbands let your leadership authority be one that directs your wife to Christ, towards holiness and obedience to God. And wives, remember that you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. Submit to your husband as if you're submitting to the Lord Jesus Himself. Another thing that we see here is a submissive wife is not a weak woman. A submissive wife is not a weak woman. Number one, she has her hope in God, not her husband. She has her hope in God, not in her husband. This brings her confidence and strength and joy, even in seasons when her husband is not leading well. And number two, she does not fear. A submissive wife does not fear because she trusts the protection and provision of God. And she will submissively seek provision and protection from her husband, whom God gave her for that. A submissive wife is a tree producing every kind of the fruit of the Spirit. A submissive wife is a tree producing every kind of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Submission to the authority as to the Lord, especially human authority that sins, takes every fruit of the Spirit. Why is for you to obey God, to submit and obey your husband, will take love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I exhort not just wives, but all women, married, single, divorced, widowed, seek to be a fruitful tree. A tree rooted and grounded in Christ, producing the fruit of the Spirit that blesses the ones around you and glorifies the God who saves you. Seek to be a tree that is full of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to commend you to accountability amongst yourselves. Women, community, accountability, and teaching one another as we see in Titus 2. And that is why we're beginning the Women's Fellowship. That's why we began the men's meeting. Are for these very things. And as we finish this morning, we finish looking at marriage and the roles of the husband and wife. We're wrapping all this up today. I want to conclude with looking to Christ. It is clear that the path godly headship and submission take is through Christ, our great example, our Savior, and our Lord. To pursue your role without Christ is to be foolish and will damn you. To pursue anything that God says apart from Christ will ultimately damn you. Because you cannot do it. And you will fail, but you will try and try harder. Do it through Christ. 21 and 22 and 23. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He is your example, both male and female, husband and wife. Christ is your path, your example. But also remember that when you fail as head or in submission, and you will, Remember that He's not just your example, but that He bore your failures. He bore your sin. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. So all of us move forward today in faith, trusting Him. Him and Him alone, not your husbands, not yourselves, not your wives, but trusting in Him and Him alone and His life, His death, and His resurrection. And remember that He's not just your Savior, but He's your shepherd. And He found you straying and loved you and brought you back to His fold, the fold of God. And not only that, He is the overseer of your soul and He will love you until the end perfectly. Perfectly. 
So this is how we conclude in remembering what Christ has done. That He gave His body and He shed His blood. And in partaking of Christ, we have eternal life. In partaking of Christ, we have been brought together as the body of Christ. Members of the body of Christ, needing one another. And so let us come today and eat and drink Christ for the sake of the head. He is our head. We are His body. Members, all one of another. So today we come and we eat. We remember Christ. As we partake of the elements, I do want to uh, let everyone know that we have open communion. And as we have open communion... For any baptized believer, you are free to partake with us and to um, to eat and drink the bread and the cup. Uh, but if you are not, then I would ask you to refrain that you might not partake in an unworthy manner and bring judgment upon your head. But know that the table might be closed today, but Christ is always Open. And you must come to Him. Believer, come to Him today. Don't eat and drink and walk out. Come to Christ. Unbeliever, if you are pricked in the heart by God, come to Christ. Where He bore your sin upon the cross. Believe in Him for life. Believer, live that life that He died for. Unbeliever, taste and see that the Lord is good. And today again we do that. We remember of how good our Lord is. So with that, Brother Dan, would you come and pray for the elements? Just remember.